Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 18th, 2020. We're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the principled and tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving. Also, Tommy John and Headspace. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. And senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. So I wanted to talk to you guys about a proposal being floated by a Harvard epidemiologist, Michael Mina, in the pages of Time magazine. I've been hearing about this for months from uh, friends of mine in the medical profession who are very taken with Michael Mina, who apparently has a epidemiology and corona podcast that is well worth listening to that I have, I have to say, not listened to myself, maybe very technical. What he brings up is that he says that at this very moment, we could, if the federal government put $5 billion in behind it, we could mass produce antigen, instant antigen reader tests that every American could do in his or her home where you slightly swab the inside of your nose, you dip the swab into a solution and sort of like a Mobius strip, it comes up like a pregnancy test, either positive or not positive. And at that moment, you know whether or not you have the virus and are contagious. And uh, this test, this instant test, he says, is the solution to getting through this period until the vaccine, since what it would do is give everybody a sense of whether or not at that moment, that day, they could be spreading the disease and therefore they would know to stay home. But otherwise, they could go out and live a normal life. No lockdowns, no businesses shut down, nothing like that. So, Abe, $5 billion. It seems... seems Given the money totals that we're throwing around, this seems like a modest amount of expenditure for an enormous return. Yeah, I think I just want to start the, with what I think is a correction. Oh, every every American could do it in their homes, but I think the plan itself isn't isn't to distribute it to every American home. His his assertion is that if you, you just you give it to a certain number of homes, and that enough. Um, like a, some sort of you know large percentage, and that that just that sure. will do enough to um, uh, reverse the course of the virus. So, I think on its face, it sounds great to me. Um, I don't I don't see any real objection to it, um, but I have a larger skepticism about um, proposals and uh, when it comes to the pandemic that say if you just do this for X amount of time, we will beat this thing. Um, that was uh, what uh, Redfield said about masks at some point. At some point, that was the logic that being on that was the logic on offer about lockdowns. Um, and even I was just remembering this this morning, um, hand washing early on when we knew very little about this. The idea was, you know, if you just wash your hands and don't touch your face, you'll be OK. There was an article uh, written by someone who had treated covid patients. Uh, in China, in the New York Times in like March or April. And she said, look, I went in and I treated uh, X number of patients and I was fine and you will be fine too. All you have to do is do this. And she explained her hand washing regime. And, you know, boy, was that wrong. Now, of course, we've gotten a more sophisticated sense of the virus by now. And, and, and these solutions are um, uh, more sophisticated as well. So, and this this certainly sounds good. I'm I'm sure there there will be unintended consequences uh, if this is implemented. There are every policy has unintended consequences, and I could imagine, for example, um, people feeling um, emboldened to go out and behave somewhat more risky um, because they continue to test uh, negative. Um, so they would go out and be more social, um, uh, and perhaps. That could incur some problem, but that's not a reason not to do it. Every everything has some intended and unintended consequences. Consequences, and the question is how much they work against the goal of the policy itself. 
Right. So the secret of this test that we're talking about is that it is a contagiousness test. That is its great value. So if there is a general sense abroad in the country, and as you say, if if it's 50% of households who are concerned and uh, and behave in ways in order not necessarily to catch it themselves, which is obviously something to devoutly to be wished, uh, but not to spread it if they unknowingly have it. Um, this has, if you want to be sentimental about it, uh, a a it depends on the goodwill and the proper civic behavior of a self-governing society. That what you would be saying is, here is this test. If, according to Michael Mina, 50% of Americans take the test every four days, we achieve something very close to herd immunity before the vaccine. In other words, the, 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 the transmission possibilities lower to such an extraordinary extent that not only would it break any, you know, spiral, but it would, it, it would make it a vanishingly, uh, or it would make it infinitely more difficult for people to actually contract the virus if people who have it know they have it and just stay home or that they know that they're contagious. So, Christine, I guess the, 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 the objection to this uh, would actually be that you just you can't trust people. Well, so that that for me, I, I it was a really pro, it's a really promising proposal in a number of ways, and I love that it it the linchpin for it isn't a top down kind of quasi authoritarian restriction placed on you by the government, but a but a call to civic duty and responsibility and privacy. Because my two concerns are that one they would require reporting uh, to some sort of public health official if you got a positive. I don't think Americans should have to do that. I think they should be trusted. The other part that where trust comes in is, as Abe said, if, if, if you get a negative test and you go out into the world and there's no lockdowns because everyone's doing this rapid testing, are you going to have to prove you're negative when you want to go to a restaurant or to the gym or back to school? And that gets into a system that we know is already in place in China where people are ranked and badged and you have a color and you can't walk into a store if you're red, but you can if you're green or yellow. I would worry about the technocrats among us, whom we know to be very eager to use technology to control, you know, unruly human populations, somehow um, taking and data. over. And, yeah, and data and taking over this, what I think is a kind of nice libertarianish initiative um, in a way that would then make people not want to participate. So that that concern about the trust is the thing that uh, worries me. But as, a, as an effort to simply reopen schools and businesses, this is a this is a wonderful idea because it would allow businesses then to function. Again, there's still going to be risk, but it would allow uh, businesses to welcome employees back. And, and as long as they've tested negative, they're not risking their health or their customers. Same with the, teachers. <laughs> right. So the, the other, you know, the, the, the other way this could be done is is in both directions, which is you could have an antigen test that you could do at home or provided you can make enough of them businesses and schools and everything could have them and they could administer them or you could administer it to yourself upon entry if they take three minutes and you're willing to wait three minutes upon entry you have this piece of paper because that's what it is it either turns red or it turns blue or whatever it does and if it doesn't you walk in and then basically everybody in the in the place can go around without a mask can eat dinner can do whatever it all does depend on a level of trust that maybe you can uh, you can lower the necessity for trust level through some of these other modalities, particularly in you know places where people will tend to congregate. You know, obviously, if you did it at at Disney World, that would be a real problem. If you know a hundred thousand people want to go into the gates at the Magic Kingdom and everybody had to wait three minutes to to get through for the for the test to go po- and then of course there's the other issue which is okay so if you get the test and it says you're positive you're already outside you're, you're already you know you've already traveled somewhere which is why you don't necessarily want to do that but if you want to build in that extra level of trust if you're going to go into a mall or something like that that might that might work uh i just think that um we the solutions 
there are no solutions, you know, and it is that thing that Thomas Sowell phrase, you know, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. So what's the, is the trade-off authoritarian top-down government control or is it self-government and the, and the empowerment of the individual? And these are kind of, you sort of, if you have one, you don't have the other. Uh, I mean, you know. Okay, so my biggest problem with all this is that even talking through it, it sounds fanciful. It just sounds fantastical. It's not going to happen. It's a theory. And we're well too deep into this for theory. There is no, you're not going to be provided individual agency by the beneficence of your elected officials. You're not going to get it that way. You take it. And if there's no impetus, no will to take it, and I don't see it, I don't see it out there. I don't see any desperation for this. I see the desire to see a vaccine, which is probably going to be uh, get uh, conditional approval this month to deliver us from these conditions. And uh, it's a really nice theory that this doctor is working out, that this public but health you know what? is working it's not... out, but the technology and the distribution, the, technology the logistical is concern, there. and that and the logistical concerns and the public pressure and the public policy is not there. There's no interest in this. I don't believe that. Here's here's why. So. Here's why. First of all, the technology is there. It's done. It works. It's 95% accurate. And it is being deployed in Slovakia and has been deployed in Slovakia on 4 million people. And the results appear to be that the that a, a, a viral outbreak was completely contained. So it, it's distribution that is the issue. And there is a regulatory distribution issue that would need to be solved, which is that for reasons that elude me, this piece of paper is viewed, according to Michael Mina, as a medical device. And as it is a medical device, it is regulated as a medical device and not as a public health screening tool. And therefore, there are different hoops that have to be leapt. And so you would need some kind of a variance to allow it to be mass distributed. And if it were to be mass distributed, it could be mass distributed by the the federal government sends out hundreds of millions of documents a week, right? I mean, it does. It sends out Medicare and Medicaid payments. It sends out social security checks. It sends out all kinds of things. It sends out tax notices and you know, forms for your tax and why it could not at the same time mass distribute, you know, a, an antigen test, which is basically, you know, a series of strips on pieces of paper that you would have to tear apart. I don't, I don't really know. Is it logistically complicated? Yes. Is it, is it, but it's not fanciful. It's a real thing. It's there. It's real. It happens. There yeah. appears to be a real-world test of it in a in a admittedly small country where they're only testing four million people, but I would sure like it. So here's here's the pushback a little bit, Noah, to what you're saying because I agree that there there does seem to be a kind of uh, weary resignation to oh we've got to cancel Thanksgiving now and is is Christmas and the holiday season over probably. There's a sense I think that this would give people two things: a little bit of hope but also something they can actually do in their own home for themselves that has a broader public health uh, impact in a way that actually mask wearing can't because of the weird mixed messaging, in a way that uh, social distancing really hasn't because of all the weird mixed messaging, and in a way that the because of the way our system works with states individually doing their various shutdowns, there would be a consistency where it's like, okay, we're all, all of us who got these are going to do this, we're going to see if it works, an experimental quality to it. I think people are looking for something other than the same old, same old. It's why there's so much cynicism about the Thanksgiving shutdown, right? But, I mean, you just outlined why this isn't going to work. Because <laughs> you talked about how this uh, profound erosion of public trust in public officials and, a, and an incredible hypocrisy that has uh, typified all of these lockdown restrictions. Uh, it's just not going to – you're just going to say, okay, well, now it's personal responsibility. Now this is on you. And you got to report the results and what have you. But this is this is a lib- this is going to liberate you, right? You make it optional. You're strapping a, well, it's a, by a, definition a, an ankle monitor onto you and saying, "Okay, now you're free." No one's going to do you're that. You're not strapping an ankle monitor onto you. It's by definition optional. You can't make it. You can't make it mandatory. 
You are just supplying it to people. It's, so like, mandatory. it's like the free That's sample they send you or something. You yeah. What? mandatory about Nobody it. says you have to submit proof. I am saying that there is an extra layer of public trust that could be you know, that could be added on, and it's not government offering it. It's if you want to go into a mall, maybe if that's what seems to be the case, you could have to do it before you right, go into a mall. But that's not mandatory. War around Thanksgiving for a second. So the the um, prevailing sentiment in polite circles is for you to not see your family for the most part. Um, you can do so responsibly, I suppose, insofar as your family consists of four people. But any more than that, it's verboten. And I guarantee you that there will be a lot of displays of adherence to these guidelines and a whole lot more dismissing of them in private. And people will talk about Thanksgiving. They'll pass around pictures like it's Sammy's dot. They'll, they'll talk amongst themselves. They will not make public displays of this stuff. And life will go on as normal, sub rosa but you're not allowed to talk about it in public. So how does this work then with the antigen test? I because mean, it's just peace of mind. So right, if you really want peace of mind, that's valuable, but it's not going to stop anybody who wants to do anything from doing anything. But that, but the peace of mind is huge. That's, that's, I think the, the sort of number one, you know, uh, uh, public desire at this point, right? I mean, yes, it, it, it'll work to slow the spread because um, it, it will tell you whether or not you can spread it, but it will also tell you whether or not you have it. And people would love to know that. Well, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like people aren't lining up yeah. on the streets now to get tested. Okay, but no, think of it this way. All those people who are like, you know, screw the authorities telling me I can't have my Thanksgiving, with a test like this, they could actually stick it to those people and be like, we all tested negative. We could do whatever we want. I mean, there's a, there's a sense right. in which the human nature aspect of it could go either way. So I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong to be cynical because I think there's a healthy amount of cynicism we should all have about these sort of schemes. But there's, there's another way of looking at it, which is that all those Charlie Kirk, like, oh, I'm going to have my Thanksgiving in your face, you know, pandemic, those idiots at least could have a reason for their idiot, you know, for their kind of preening displays. Um, they can get the test and say, now I can do whatever I want. Leave me alone. Don't tell I me mean, what to do. <laughs> look, we're talking about this at a moment at which we have skyrocketing positive testing. Right, I mean, it, and it's 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 in I don't know. Literally, every state in the country is seeing an increase. Fortunately for us, uh, the Northeast seems to be the least bad. Uh, but the world of people who are like, "Ah, eh, the hell with you, virus!" is being tested because. It is places like that where people have lived and watched the Northeast get hammered and probably thought a little bit that we were getting what we deserve because we're Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, and all of that. They're now going through this and it's the same problem. Like It's not like there aren't people living in the Dakotas and Idaho and stuff like that who are 70 years old and have diabetes and obesity and are going to get, you know, are going to get their heads chopped off by the virus. I mean, that, so yeah, they can all wander around saying that it's nothing just at a moment at which they are most at risk. I mean, family gatherings are wonderful things, but if they conclude with a non-zero number of elderly people getting coronavirus and either getting extraordinarily sick from it or dying from it in the three weeks after Thanksgiving, that's not good. And, you know, you can, that's why the politicization of this discussion is so maddening because there's nobody on earth except for, you know, the kinds of people who believed that they got every disease known to man and, you know, went and lived, you know, sealed their houses off in bubbles like in the movie Safe and all of that, who who want to live under a strict regime of social distancing and control and all of that. I mean, there is seems to be an idea among the more libertarian among us in relation to the virus that, you know, 
we are enjoying this. Nobody is enjoying this. So if there's a mitigation, the problem is there's very little in the way of mitigation strategies with a contagion because you're not only you only you don't only need to mitigate it for yourself but you are responsible for mitigating the possible damage you can do to other people and that is where this this test uh offers a new wrinkle in the general discussion because if you are even remotely responsible or believe yourself to be a responsible citizen the idea that you can know walking out the door of your apartment that you are not contagious and therefore not only could you not wear your mask unless you're worried that someone will be afraid, mad at you on the street, but not only could you not wear your mask, but you can actually genuinely believe that you are not going to get somebody else sick. Your well-being that day will be will be very seriously enhanced, as could your profession, your industry, your education, and all of that. And and so, yeah, I understand. Oh, wait, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. How, why are you not wearing a mask? What? Yeah, I think Did you probably still have to wear a mask. In no, case but you, others yeah, what, what institution, what building could you walk into like that? What well, social setting could you engage in like that? I'm saying in my discussion of this matter, right, which was you get the test, you know you're not contagious. Again, let's say you take the test outside the American Dream Mall in New Jersey for, you know, for three minutes. So you can go into the mall. You're not contagious. No one in the mall is contagious. Nobody has to wear a mask. If everybody is tested, if at my kid's school, everybody has an antigen test in the morning before they walk in the door and they are not contagious. They do not have to wear a mask. See, this is where I'm on the testing boat because it would stop the teachers unions in their tracks with their safety. You know what they're, they're hiding behind a kind of hyper uh, hyper safety argument that doesn't compute with particularly with elementary schools. But if it's not rational, you can't rationalize them out of it. What are you talking about? A no, piece of paper is sense. the rationalization. In other words, no, you're saying you're. We all agree that the restrictions to which we are supposed to adhere when it comes to schools are not predicated on science, are not rational. But there's no so, way so to a scientific it. argument is going to get us out of it. But this would prove it in in the sense that a school district could say so to the unions, a school uh, superintendent, uh, the superintendent or the mayor in this case in D.C. could say, OK, you know what? You're right. Your safety is our priority. Forget the kids education. Your safety is teachers. So each and every one of our students and each and every one of your teachers will take this test every day. And if they're positive, they go home or, or you know, if they have a positive test, they stay home and do virtual learning. If they're negative, they come to school. It would stop them in their tracks because there's no argument arguing around it, there's proof that it's safe. Can I right now, protocols are if you cannot effectively trace, if you have two individuals who have con- contracted this disease in an institution like a school, the CDC guidelines, and you cannot effectively contact trace, so you don't know how they got it, you have to shut the building down. That's not true. That is that's not literally how, true. That's just that happened is literally, my high school yesterday. John. Okay, that doesn't happen at, my, at the two schools that my kids are going to. So it isn't true. What you are describing isn't true, and the whole point of this test is that it tells you at the moment that you take it whether or not you are contagious. Well, I mean, I think which the point is the is only thing that matters. You're not going to get contagious five hours after you take the test. That's the not is, the way it true. works. The, the crazy Noah is describing is yeah. true where he is, not in other places. Right. And this would actually allow for a for a simple tool that would could be kind of universally embraced as a way of dealing with answering that question of safety. Right. And all and for example, let me just give you another example: the pod system, right, in schools. So my kids' schools. Everyone's six feet apart or further apart, so they need twice the amount of space as they used to have for classrooms. So um, at my son's school, uh, he's in fifth grade. Fifth grade and under, they're in five days a week. Sixth grade and over, they're in two days a week and shifting because there's not enough square footage, right? Antigen test, you can have, you can end social distancing. There's no reason for social distancing if everybody comes in the morning has an antigen test because they're not contagious then. So everybody can come back to school. Now, what happens? My kids, we have a we fill out a medical form every morning that says, 
what's their temperature? So you take the temperature with the with this uh, you know scanner. Um, does anyone have a sniffle, a running nose, a stomach ache, a this or that? You say none of the above. It, does any you know has anyone been in contact with somebody with corona? Has anyone been out of the country for fourteen days? Is any of this and any of that right? And then you answer the questions, and if you answer all the questions, no. As, as I have been, it then says your wellness check is complete. So at my son's school, that is transmitted directly to the school. And, you know, he puts out, he takes his ID card, he puts it through the scanner. It says he's clear. He walks in at my daughter's school where they have a different system. When they're, when they pass, I take a picture of it on my phone and I text it to my daughters that says, you know, she can come into school today, and then they show that at the door, at the screening, and go in. And so in this system, which I know public schools don't really have, if you have that system, you can add the antigen test to it. Like, I can take a photograph of the antigen test at home and and say she can go into school just like I take a picture of the or, – or, or report on the temperature – that my kids have, right? Or that test for extra security could be done at school. Although the danger there is they're at school and they test positive on the line at school and then they somehow have to get home while they are contagious, which does not seem to be the the greatest system. Anyway, it's an interesting thing. Time Magazine, Michael Mina, Antigen. So if you go to Google, Google though M I N A. You can read about it and see see what you think. If we had a functioning government in the United States, this proposal, given everything that else is going on, would be something that would be under very lively discussion because there would be a question about what could happen at the FDA to change the reading of these pieces of paper from medical devices into public health screening documents effectively uh, and therefore changing the regulatory framework around which they would be distributed. Okay, so let me take a pause and talk to you about the first of today's uh, sponsors, Headspace. Because as I've been telling you, life can be stressful even under normal circumstances and Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. One of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Its approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace, may, Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash commentary. That's headspace.com slash commentary for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash commentary today. Uh, so we, uh, we read this morning that Pfizer, uh, has completed its study, uh, appears to believe that they, they have, they have reached 94% effectiveness, uh, and are looking for absolute approval for the beginning of its manufacture and mass, uh, distribution. Uh, this was the first announcement, right? I think at the beginning of last week. Apparently, they must have dotted all the I's and crossed the T's and are ready to submit it for uh, FDA approval along with the Moderna. Whenever Moderna does the same, it will do the same. So uh, why aren't we more optimistic? Or are we? Noah, you don't sound very optimistic. (laughs) I'm very optimistic about a vaccine. I'm not very optimistic about whatever that scheme was that we were just discussing. I'm extremely optimistic about... Immunization. Immunization works. Immunization is tried and tested. The distribution that we're talking about here is is revolutionary. And the speed with which we've achieved a phase three trial 
with 95% success rate, success rate is a medical miracle. I'm very optimistic about that. There's also, there's another reason to be optimistic too. I don't know that we are or we're not, but um, a study came out recently showing that um, antibodies do seem to last for a long period of time. Uh, you, you can't get reinfected for um, up to a year or so. Um, which, which is, you know, has, which was an open question for a long time. In fact, there were all these sort of anecdotal stories in the past about so someone in South Korea got it twice, and and you know, but um, well, Boris that's Johnson what frustrates me is the acquiescence to the the virus as some sort of a permanent condition, which is a feature of how a lot of people talk about this sort of thing, and it's sort of a perverse wish, in in my view, on the part of a lot of these people who are. Um, hypochondriacs in the first place, uh, scared of their own shadow in the second place. Um, listen, there's a real easy way for you to navigate the holidays this year, and it's for you to self-isolate for two weeks. Nobody seems to be all that interested in doing that, but it's the, really the easy one. I mean, we're going to talk about personal responsibility here. There you go. Well, who who says nobody's interested in it? The people who are the people who are very skeptical. That human nature allows for that sort of thing, which is a reason. There's reason to be skeptical for it, but um, it's a distinct lack of faith in their fellow man that frustrates me. So I have a question about the the optimism around the vaccine. I think is justified, um, but I do have a lot of concern about the anti-vax sentiments that we saw bloom during the election, um, uh, voiced in particular by Kamala Harris a couple of times. Um, and I'm wondering if you guys think that's now gone because Biden won, or are we going to see some of that residual skepticism play out? That's one question. The other question on distribution is there's already brewing an argument about who should get it first after the frontline healthcare workers. And there's a whole issue of race that's that's been brought to the forefront already about this vaccine and who should get it first and whether we should do this by race, by you know socioeconomic status, all of these questions. And I wonder if that's also going to be something that was a was a discussion during the election that will disappear, or is that something we're gonna have to grapple with in the month? One, a whole lot of people really honestly believe that the, that Trump made this vaccine, just like a whole lot of people honestly believe Russia changed votes and the election was stolen for Donald Trump. They really honestly believe it because they really honestly want to believe it. But if you shot him full of sodium pentothal, they'd take it. Second of all, um, this notion that we should do something along race is some sort of weird boutique liberalism that exists only on Twitter. It is not apparent in any any rational policymaking quarter that we're privy to, so I would dismiss that offhand. I wouldn't dismiss it offhand because the entire public health establishment in the United States is completely cap- captured by this mindset. Now, I don't know how you best distribute it. I mean, there are interesting distributional questions, right, that, go, that, are, that are polar opposites of each other. There is one... What do you do about a densely populated place, right? So take, you know, Brooklyn, uh, you know, or or the Bronx or something like that, like a part, a city, city, very densely populated city neighborhood. How do you ensure that every that there's enough dose to get everybody in that neighborhood vaccinated once the vaccine is available, pretty much around the same time, so that you can achieve herd immunity at least in that area, if that's a real thing, right? And then you have the total polar opposite thing, which is what happens in Wyoming, where people live very, or Alaska, where people live very spaced, very far apart. Uh, Are they required to drive three and a half hours to get the vaccine? Can the vaccine be brought to their town? Who's going to bring it? If there are storage issues involving the Pfizer vaccine apparently needs to be stored at extraordinarily cold temperatures in specially constructed freezers. The Moderna vaccine supposedly can be kept pretty much at room temperature. So do you make sure that the Moderna vaccine goes to these places where people, you know, are, are, are far spread apart and you, you have the freezers in the Bronx because, you know, people, you can have thousands of doses in one freezer and people can therefore line up and get them. Or what? And therefore, what you have there is these interesting public health questions that are new because nothing like this has ever happened before you, where you have to do this all at once, you know, to the extent that you can, all at all at once. Um, and, and that kind of cuts against race unless you are race obsessed, right? Because uh, 
And the problem now is uh, it cuts against race, except that everybody in this country has gone insane. <laughs> well, so and the so, age, we, and we so do, it's okay. We, it's okay to protest. It's okay to uh, not socially distance when you're having a, a, a protest against racism. And similarly, this entire yeah, looking at everything through the realm of the prism of, of, of race could be a real problem. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see if Kamala Harris, in particular. Um, uh, who who said uh, she wouldn't take the um, uh, vaccine on on Trump's recommendation, as if that's the way it would ever happen? Um, <laughs> which was a which was a um, an especially irresponsible thing to do, considering that it is true that African Americans are uh, uh, have been have been um, testing positive at, at a higher rate. Um, to see if she switches from saying I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't take the vaccine to saying um, uh, black Americans should get it first. Well, we do, we do have we do have a on a small scale we have a model of how to do this, right? The H one N one vaccine was H one N one virus was hitting kids a lot harder than uh, adults, and so there were all these protocols based on age. And I know because I had young children at the time, and I had to line up twice uh, around several city blocks and wait for hours for them to get each of the doses. I myself was never qualified for a dose because I was a healthy adult. I ended up getting H1N1, um, but they did first the healthcare workers, then the children. They, they had stages of how to distribute a vaccine because there were limited quantities based on risk. And I think you can do that to some extent. Race comes into it because as Abe, Abe's correct in saying that, you know, there are higher rates of comorbidities in certain populations. There are, there are certain populations that have more higher risk jobs. Um, and I, I would have no problem if the vast majority of the first few doses went to went to minorities, if those are the people who are at the most risk in terms of their livelihoods, in terms of their living situations. But to make it make the conversation start at race, I agree, it's ridiculous. And it's actually quite polarizing and would have a weird unintended consequence for African-Americans, many of whom will tell us the first word you'll hear if you say, the government wants you to take this vaccine first. They'll say, uh, yeah. Tuskegee. 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 And they're right to be suspicious. I mean, yeah. there is a history of experimenting on minority populations in this country that we should not forget when we're talking about these yeah. vaccines. I, I think the anti-vaxxer thing is a is a bigger problem than, than say, Noah uh, suggested. I mean, this is a real thing. This is a real thing. We have seen outbreaks of diseases that were thought eradicated in California because there are so many anti-vaxxers. I mean, th this is not a negligible number of people. And it makes perfect sense over the last 30 years with the panics that were created by tort lawyers about chemicals and, you know, the chemical infestation of the atmosphere, completely uh, unproven or unscientifically gathered um theories about you know cancer clusters and environmental causes of 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 certain types of cancer then you know dialing back to this the ultimate right which was the completely false study that said that vaccines caused autism andrew wakefield's study uh that was published in the lancet um that you know basically uh the lancet had to uh retract and uh, wakefield was I don't know, are you disbarred when you're a doctor? Had his medical license removed because he basically made made up all the data. But people still believe it, you know, and then they still want to do things like, say, vitamins will cure you rather than... And you know that there are going to be quack remedies uh, and that there's going to be an entire industry of people who are going to market quack remedies just when the vaccine is out because that's when you can make the most money on it. There's that fantastic bit in the movie Contagion, um, you know, which is the great movie about a pandemic, uh, Steven Soderbergh's Contagion, where Jude Law, who is this kind of sleazy Glenn Greenwald-ish, uh, uh, you know, uh, Assange-ish journalist, uh, you know, basically starts peddling a homeopathic cure and selling tens of million, making tens of millions of dollars selling this homeopathic cure that, of course, not only doesn't work, but seems to help advance the killing of people. Like, that's a real thing. Um, 
hopefully it will not intrude on the creation of herd immunity. Well, and it's not just, but there's two things, right? There's that impulse, which I think you get a lot of kind of conspiracy theory types like that who will take advantage. But then there's a kind of elite anti-vax, you know, I'm expecting the weird homeopathic remedy that Gwyneth Paltrow is going to be peddling on her goop site too. Like it's both. I mean. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow, who is in Contagion, by the way. Was yes, actually, it's my she's favorite patient Gwyneth zero. role yes. because she's she, patient she gets- zero. <laughs> it's a whole nother issue. But, right. uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I, that does really concern me because you can have the bottom up conspiracies and then, you know, you like the fluoride and the water conspiracies, which are definitely kind of populist. But then you can have the elite conspiracies and both reach rather large populations thanks to social media these days. Uh, OK, let me uh, back off and for a minute and talk to you about our, our next sponsor, uh, Tommy John. Look. Farmer's Almanac predicts this winter is going to be brutally cold. In fact, it's brutally cold today here in New York, so that's a pretty good harbinger. What is it about 2020 that made everything so aggressive? We've got the anecdote. Fight cold with Cozy and start stockpiling Tommy John undergarments, loungewear, and pajamas. It's the new toilet paper, by which I think we what we're trying to say here is that it's the thing to stock up on. Because this year, Tommy John is making sure you can give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list and yourself with Tommy John's men's and women's loungewear. Say goodbye to old stained sweatpants. Tommy John loungewear is luxuriously soft and guaranteed to fit perfectly with the same level of comfort and innovation that goes into everything Tommy John makes. Look, they sent me some. I got to tell you, I got two pairs. I wear them at home every single day. They're fantastic, really. Plus, Tommy John's loungewear pajamas and underwear come in limited edition sets, perfect for gifting, but they sell out quick, so order soon. And there's no risk with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Order now to make sure your gifts arrive by the holidays. Go to TommyJohn.com, excuse me, TommyJohn.com slash commentary for $25 off site-wide. Get $25 off for a limited time only at TommyJohn.com slash commentary. TommyJohn.com slash commentary. See site for details. Well, we've managed to go about half an hour, a little longer, without talking about the uh, election and its aftermath. And I guess, unfortunately, our time is up and we got to bring it up uh, a little bit. Um, so once again, I find myself in a, in a, in a weird uh, nihilistic dilemma. Because I hear there's a Reuters Ipsos poll says 50% of Republicans say that the uh, election was stolen uh, for, you know, uh, you know, by by for Biden against Trump, and I plunge into despair at this and the damage that it does to the body politic, and how terrible it is. And then I remember that in 2018, a YouGov poll said 67% of Democrats believed that the Russians had manufactured votes or caused votes to be cast for Donald Trump in sufficient numbers that they may have turned the election. So does that mean that Republicans are more sane in 2020 than Democrats were in 2018? Or, or are we looking here at a collapse of confidence in I don't even know what to call it because an election is not an institution. A collapse of confidence in 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 accepting that there is anything remotely like a fair outcome that goes against you. And I'm going to say it again: what aboutism, whatever you want. This entire idea about elections being illegitimate has its source in 2000 uh, when. Democrats convinced that Gore should have been the winner in Florida because he 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 uh, lost three thousand votes in Palm Beach County that logically should have not gone to Pat Buchanan theoretically. Um, uh, you know, believed that the intent of the voter in twenty in two thousand was to have Gore as president, and therefore any modality that they might want to use that would demonstrate this fact that they were arguing from the beginning was therefore justifiable and morally necessary, even though the way the counting was done and done and done kept having Bush as the winner. And after all, everything was done eight months later, a consortium of eight media organizations that counted every ballot in Florida together had Bush winning the election in six of seven scenarios that they laid out. 
So nonetheless, that Bush was not my president. Remember this? Not my president. Paul Krugman said he would not call Bush president. 2004, Diebold machines made uh, Bush president instead of John Kerry. There's a movie made by Adam McKay, a terrible comedy, the name of which now eludes me with Will uh, with Will uh, Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, in which the Motch Corporation, meaning Coke, but spelled like Mot Moke, um, the machines that they had win the election for Ferrell instead of Galifianakis, um, and then of course we have 2016 and the Russia. You know, and and then of course we also have Obama being an illegitimate president because he was born in Kenya, supposedly. And then we have twenty. So, I mean, I don't want to just say they started it, but like they started it, and now here we are. And this is like an maybe we shouldn't be worried about this because it's simply an enduring feature of our elections that everybody's a sore loser. And it's like saying the umpires, you know, didn't call the game right and and it's not fair and there's nothing to be done about it. But so maybe I shouldn't be as agitated as I was last night at the fact that the Wayne County, uh, you know, electoral board uh, at the beginning seemed to indicate that it was going to try to throw the results of the county into, you know, it was going to try to do something not to, um, what do you call it, authorize or certify certify the results of the county's election or was going to try to somehow eliminate detroit from the count or something okay that's my rant i feel like i'm a bit of a party pooper here today because like my role is just to lower the stakes on whatever it is we're talking we're about our buzz, Noah. It's, my, it's my scheme you're, you're saying that my <laughs> but yes i mean these as you as you just illustrated ably um the the permanence of this as a feature suggests that it is not the existential threat that many would like it to be. Many of the professionally very passionate people about who are very passionate about everything and who resent deeply um, any sort of qualification or caveat that would dampen their enthusiasm for the moment. Um, it's a contrivance. It exists to retroactively justify your intellectual and emotional investments um, it's not real. I think a lot of them under, you know, if you really, you know, put them on a, a polygraph, they, they would confess, their body would confess to it not being real. Um, and every cycle since 2000, this has happened. So it suggests that the, da- the danger associated with it, while not, while something you can't dismiss, is entirely hypothetical. I, you know, I really don't agree. I, so I'll, 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 I'll raise the stakes back up. Um, I, I don't... I don't know why you're confident that they don't believe this. I, th- I think I think you have to take some do. Some do. I'm not going to say everybody conspiracy does. Conspiracy theorists at, at their at face value uh, these days, um, and I, I think it's I think some it's, do, but we cannot. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. I apologize, but we cannot guide and shape society based on a, a small minority, a very vocal minority, who is addled. About everything. No, but we can. But we can be hindered in this poll, Noah. Fifty. Yeah, do you honestly think fifty percent of this public believes that? Okay, or let's that's say just half a, of them just don't. a device that okay. helps them get through the moment. 50, first of all, it's fifty percent of Republicans, so say it's half of that number, and it's twenty-five percent of Republicans, and Republicans make up thirty-three percent of the of the of the adult populace of the United States. Oh, wow. That's tens of millions of people. Okay, two-thirds of Democrats who outnumber Republicans thought that the, the Russia changed our vote totals. Yeah, that was great, wasn't really, it? Though? Did they really? Because what did they do? Yes, I think they did. they did. They impeached the president mm-hmm. on the basis of this theory that was crackpot bananas ridiculous. Crackpot bananas ridiculous based on the idea that Facebook ads cause 3 million people. Okay, I don't think it's exactly 000. a straight okay. line there, honestly. I think that elides a whole lot of events that um, do, do not deserve to be elided. That actually does a disservice to, to history. Nevertheless, even if we say that is the case, the consequences of it to national comedy, to the stability of the republic are negligible. What do you mean? 
How can you even say that? Look at the condition of the national discourse. So, well, here's. I here's mean, a- I don't understand. No, wait. I, I gotta. I, I really gotta blow back. You're saying that there's no consequence to the last twenty years of hyperpartisanship and negative polarization. No, that you was- brought up impeachment. I'm addressing impeachment. Okay. You think there were no consequences to impeachment? I'm looking at the foundations of the republic, and they look rather stable to me. They do. Yeah. The foundations of the Republic look stable. We had one. Now, there was a threat being made to the political order that the American public largely turned away. But, you know, a few million votes in different ways in different states could have changed this to pack the Supreme Court, add states in order to gain one political party, a perpetual political advantage. That was an open common conversation in September and October. And granted, it did not go through. That doesn't mean it doesn't go through in 2024, and it doesn't mean it doesn't go through in 2028. And it it is hypothetically dangerous, but it is not manifestly dangerous. So maybe maybe the way to look at it is, is particularly in the last 20 to 30 years, every election is a kind of stress test of our system. It should be, actually. Um, And so you will see uh, people trying to push the boundaries the concern, though, and I think this is to John's polarization point, is that if if the stress tests become more severe with each election, there's a cumulative effect that can rise up. And, you know, it, it actually wasn't the court packing and adding states that worried me so much. It's the kind of growth of anarchists uh, sentiment, which, again, still very small group of agitators right now. But the appeal of that sentiment to a growing number of people who basically say the whole system is rigged. We don't even we don't care about the Democrats doing this, or the Republicans doing this. We don't like any of them. The parties don't represent us. Those kinds of stress tests over another 20 years could be dangerous. I mean, I, I am with Noah in thinking I have a lot of faith in our system. And I don't think that's naive because I think we've gone through much more challenging moments and the system has emerged uh, and adapted. Um, but what I don't see now is any discussion of adaptation that will decrease polarization. And that worries me going forward for the next 10 years. I mean, we are we are heading into a period of time that is going to be very, you know, it's like very politically, very interesting, right? Assuming that Republicans win the uh, the Democratic win the Senate seats in Georgia, which I think is now uh, more likely given the uh, revelations by our friends at the Free Beacon of of, uh, of of Reverend Warnock saying that you can't serve God and the U.S. military at the same time, which I'm sure will come as wonderful news uh, following his uh, pastorship of Fidel Castro and uh, various other things. Uh, to the to the suburban women of of, of Georgia who uh, weren't the soldiers counting, of Fort Benning, <laughs> yeah, and, and who weren't counting on this when they voted for Joe Biden. Um, so, but at the same time, the Republican Party in Georgia is you know basically gone you know launched into a civil war with the Senate candidates de- demanding that the Secretary of State who who you know ran a, a, apparently a, a totally fair election be fired or resign for the evil of him not sucking up to Donald Trump in some fashion or other um, the way they are sucking up to Donald Trump in some incredibly cynical effort to suck up to him so that he'll endorse them or something like that. I don't even want to get into you know much more of that, but let's say Republicans win, okay so you are looking at a circumstance in which not only could there be no legislation passed in the United States over the next two years, but you could have a real problem with getting, I don't know, spending bills, but like the, the, the simple authorization of the money to keep, you know, the government open and stuff like that. Um, I'm all for gridlock. I love gridlock because it, it keeps Congress from doing terrible things. But we're talking about a gridlock beyond all conceivable uh, gridlock, and uh, there w- are going to be consequences from this hyperpolarization. I mean, we are we are talking about real consequences. We're talking about some of the th- things we've seen this year that we have been blaming, or rightly sourcing to the pandemic and the you know uh, the rioting and the Antifa stuff and all of that. That I think we properly said we're all species of what happens in a country when you know when people are told that they can't uh, socialize or have any entertainment or do anything. 
But once that has been introduced into the general behavior of the body politic, like it, it can spread to all sorts of other circumstances and conditions. Like there could be riots over the fact that they don't have, you know, a continuing resolution. You think I'm crazy? I'm not crazy. Like, I don't, it happens I, in other countries. I don't. I don't think you're crazy at all, and I think that's what makes the the problem um, something that exists actually beyond politics. I don't think it's polarization. I don't think it, it's really centered on elections either. It's it's another manifestation of this um, choose your own reality um, problem that we have everywhere. So you don't have to accept the results of the election. You don't have to accept the pandemic is real. You don't. Ha- there's. You don't have to accept anything, and you are guaranteed to go find fellow travelers who will agree with your version of reality. And then you form some, you become some sort of force um, in the culture. And this is where I find it necessary to say that while I am (laughs) disgusted by the behavior of Republican officials and Republican hangers on and Trumpian pundits and the president himself in the aftermath of this election, I am disgusted by this and the choose your own reality thing that they're doing. And, and and people who are listening, if you want to believe that the election was stolen and that fraud is all, go ahead, just go ahead. You know, let's do, do whatever you want. Um, but I am not going to sit here and say that they are unique villains in 2020 when I saw people on camera holding a microphone in front of a fire saying this demonstration is peaceful. Like that was choose your own reality in front of us on television, live on cable channels where they were saying, do you believe, you know, the, the man it's the, it's the man in bed with his mistress and his wife walks in and he says, what are you going to believe me or your own eyes? Well, I believe my own eyes. They want to believe him, and now Republicans, you know, want to believe the the anchor who was saying that the demonstrations are peaceful while a fire is behind him, and people are hitting each other with sticks, and now they want to believe Trump when he says that the election was stolen when it wasn't stolen, and when every we're now we're now twenty six court decisions and twenty five of them have gone against Trump, and that's Republican judges and Democratic judges and liberal judges and conservative judges, and it's all horseshit. And it's time for us to move beyond this, but we're not going to move beyond it because we're being told that the country, America was founded on slavery and that's horseshit too. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like, I mean, all these seem to me more causes for optimism. I'm sorry. The forces of reality mount counterattacks. They do. Yes. John, you just talked about literally every Democrat is saying the defund the police stuff killed us. Not every Democrat. killed us. They're saying this. They're saying we got destroyed because of it. This would have been a, dem- a, a, a democratic landslide, but for our recalcitrance and our blindness to this man, this violence manifesting in the streets for for four consecutive months. Yes, reality does have a way of of mounting counterattacks. So, where's the Republican counterattack on this on this attack on reality? You just mentioned it. What the, the ju- Republican appointed judges who are no, saying no, no. get okay. out of here? Okay, fair enough. Okay. Anyone want to support? Where do you go in the in the me versus Noah, Christine and Abe? Choose uh, your fighter. <laughs> I'm, 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 unfortunately, I think um, the the forces of irrationality and choose your own reality are um, still on the rise and will continue to be. I mean, I, I agree. Eventually, it, you know, this things will turn around, but we're not there. I don't think we're there. Okay, so Christine, let me let me just. Uh, go and talk to everybody about our final sponsor today, Donors Trust. Okay? So let me let me let me throw at you a scenario. Okay. It's Mark and Carrie. Mark and Carrie have long managed their charitable giving through a national donor advised fund. But in recent months that provider went from being a neutral platform to questioning some of their grants to conservative causes, even turning down a gift to one. They looked into their local community foundation, but it didn't seem much better. Fortunately, some online searching led Mark and Carrie to a provider that reflects their values, Donors Trust. Donors Trust is unique among donor-advised funds because it was built with a certain community in mind, a community that believes in limited government, personal responsibility, and free enterprise as bedrock values worth fighting for. With Donors Trust's unique focus on this community, it can offer more personalized, nimble service than larger, more bureaucratic providers. As Mark reports... 
None of the other providers have the ideological element and protection that Donors Trust has. Already have a donor advised fund? Do you know that you can easily roll that fund over to Donors Trust? You can, and in doing so, you'll gain a partner that understands your values. The team from Donors Trust works with donors of all levels of giving to protect your charitable legacy and help you achieve your charitable goals. Some of you might be considering a donor advised fund, and why not? It's the simple, tax friendly, secure way to give. So, why not work with the fund that matches your values? For commentary podcast listeners, that's Donors Trust. Get your free donor prospectus to see how Donors Trust can be your principal charitable partner at donorstrust.org slash commentary. That's donorstrust.org slash commentary. Christine, I was interrupting you and I. Apologize. No, no, that's fine. I, I actually, I'm going to be that annoying person who tries to, to, to uh, straddle the fence on this and just say that I do have the faith that Noah has in our system, our political system, actually, uh, it's resilience. But I share uh, Abe's deep concerns about the culture war. So I would say that to the extent that that culture war, which is ongoing and and is above and beyond politics, captures our political process to a greater extent, which is why groups like the Justice Democrats exist. They want to bring the culture war to the political process at every at every point on the way. To the extent that we allow that to continue to happen and we don't do what Noah is describing some Democrats doing, which is push back and say, this is killing us, um, that worries me long term. Um, so I actually, the culture war stuff is, the, is it does keep me up at night. Um, the political process, I have a little more faith in, however dysfunctional it does appear at moments like now. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, we will uh, be back to you tomorrow. So for Abe, Christine, and Noah, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.